and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about fertilizing wheat. Even if you don't raise wheat, though, a lot of these same tips are going to apply to just about every crop out there. So we'll talk a little about soil fertility. We're also going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag right away here in our show. If you've got a question for us, just email us radio at agphd.com or you can give us a call as well. We'll be taking your phone calls throughout the show. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Well, we have been getting so many email questions that we want to get to those right away. Let's go to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian, we were talking about liquid versus dry fertilizer. And I Ooh, got, that's going to be a little bit of a topic today. But anyway, go ahead. Got a message from Vam Shi who says, wondering which is the best fertilizer for chili crops. Now, I I, I would say this, Vam Shi. There's every you can say any crop you want to say, and doesn't matter if you use liquid or if you use dry. I don't know if it makes a huge difference one way or the well, other. Well, depends on what you have uh, in terms of application methods available. That and it depends on the weather, the timing. I mean, there are a lot of different factors. So just as a general statement, I'll put it to you this way. A lot of times when we talk about building soil overall, we say, boy, these soil tests look really low. The farmer owns the ground. He's going to farm it long term. We say, all right, if you want to build that up over one year or three years or five years, whatever you want to do, it's probably going to be the least expensive to build it up with dry fertilizer. Okay. If we talk liquid fertilizer, then usually we're talking about at planting time, foliar, um, and then also we talk about how it's available right now as opposed to the dry. It's going to take a lot of rain to get it really broken down and into the plant. So I think about over the last nine months, for example, we've it's over nine months now, we've had a grand total, counting the snow even, of like nine inches, nine total inches of precip. That's it in nine months. <laughs> so that's not much. Our ground's really, really, really dry. And if you say, well, you know what? Um, I'm worried that the dry fertilizer I put out is going to break down. Will it or will it not? Our dad would tell us a story in 1976 about how Literally, he went back out in 1977. They used a lot of dry granule herbicides in 1976. He went back out in 1977 in the spring and still found some of the dry granules left. (laughs) Okay. Well, if they haven't even broken down in a whole year, they surely did not come available. And the same thing happens with fertilizer. We've had the exact same experience with dry fertilizer on our farm. So if you want stuff that's available right now, you want liquid. Also, you got to talk about the salt index with all these different products. There are some good low-salt liquid fertilizers where, uh, that you could use, whereas if you put potash or you put, let's say, a dry sulfur product right next to your seed, would, would I want to do that? Not a chance in the world, but there are some liquid products that I would use. So anyway, there are, there are a number of different reasons why you might go liquid versus dry, and uh, we could talk all day about that, but let's get to the next question. All right. I get this one from Eric. We were talking about gibberellic acid. Eric says, uh, I don't think that you mean corn is going to necessarily grow 12 feet tall if you use gibberellic acid. I would think the hybrid makes a lot more difference on tall or short. But how much height gain do you expect to get from gibberellic acid? 
Well, I can just tell you from first-hand experience on our farm, with the right timing, a foot. We can gain a foot with one application. Now, I'm not saying it always works out that way, because what we're after here, and, and so let's step back for one second. Gibberellic acid is naturally produced in plants. The warmer it gets, the more gibberellic acid is naturally going to be produced, okay? And when you have more gibberellic acid, you will have lengthened stalks. So there will be more space between the nodes. Um, I, I don't know how better I can describe that, but basically the plant's going to get taller. With gibberellic acid, the reason why we use it is especially silage corn. If we're after more tonnage out of our grass, out in the pasture, things like that. I mean, it is a, it's a no-brainer. It's a proven deal. So I'll just tell you, like on our farm this year, we're going to have I'm going to say like 1,200 acres of corn for silage. That's all getting gibberellic acid on for sure because we have seen these gains. And you're only going to spend 3 to $5 an acre, so it's no big deal. But anyway, all we're trying to do is trick the plant into thinking things are really good. We throw a bunch of the gibberellic acid on, the plant grows taller, and normally it wouldn't do that because the weather is too cold. We are in a very cold climate here compared to a lot of other areas that grow corn. So we need every advantage we can get and we want that corn to be taller. I, I mean, it gets us more tonnage. doesn't always get us more yield, but it gets us more tonnage. All right. Uh, I got a question for Brandon in Ohio. Generally speaking for corn and soybeans, which crop would ha have more ROI from adding micronutrients? All depends on which one is the most short. So a lot of people will focus on corn just because corn needs more total pounds. Um, but there, too, it all depends on the yield. So I, I, I can't really say it's absolutely one or the other. We're always looking at how do we balance our overall fertility for the crop that we're raising. So if what we'd like to see is your soil tests, and then we could probably give you maybe a little bit better idea what you might be looking for. Okay. Thanks for the question. Got this one uh, from P88. Who says, how long does it normally take to compost a manure pile? All depends on how you treat it, how much heat there is. How much rain you get yep, if it's rain. There, there are a lot of things. So people will normally spin it, and it might take three months. There are ways you can do it in half the time or less, especially using microbes and, and proper methods. Uh, but it, it, it does take a little bit of effort, a little bit of expense, and, and certainly a little knowledge and experience. But yeah, we're usually talking six to uh, 13 weeks. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Nick. He said, I've got an exam tomorrow on my integrated weed management class. You guys have helped me out so much. Thank you for your show. Hey, you're welcome, Nick. Thanks for checking us out. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we love talking about controlling weeds on our show, as you hear. Uh, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, on today's program, too. Our topic, though, is going to be fertilizing wheat. We'll get into that right after this. Stay tuned. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at FarmShopMFG.com. 
Agroliquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, Agroliquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. Agroliquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today taking your calls and questions throughout the show and talking about fertilizing wheat. Let's get to that right now. We're going to go to the phone lines and talk to Danny Titus. He's with AgriLiquid down in Kansas. Danny, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Great. Uh, so good. we're talking fertility in wheat today. And granted, a really good wheat crop is going to take less total fertilizer than what we would consider a really good corn crop. But still, fertility is a real big key. So when farmers are talking to you about fertilizing wheat, where do you usually start? Well, you know, if we're talking before we plant the wheat, we're usually looking at their their phosphate and micro needs that they're going to need to, you know, to produce that crop of wheat that they're going for. So we would look at that if we're looking before we plant the wheat. Um, this time of year, we're really looking at top dressing on nitrogen and possibly putting on micronutrients or even phosphate at this point if they didn't put any phosphate down. Yeah, the phosphorus thing concerns me just a little bit because phosphorus doesn't move very well in soil. So how are you getting around that if you are going this late? Well, we've actually done a lot of work with our Pro Germinator product. Uh, putting that out, uh, like this time of year, put that in, stream that out, and we can actually get darn near as good a response from our Pro Germinator applied this time as what we do is at planting. Now, granted, it's not quite as good as at planting, but um, you know we've we've had situations where the price just wasn't good when they planted, but yet here we roll around into the spring. Now we've got a good price opportunity for that wheat, and uh, we can go out there and put on some Pro Germinator, stream it on with the spray rig, and and still we can still get that phosphate to that root crop. 
Yeah, streaming, I think, is the key word that you said there, because the more you can have it concentrated in one spot, as opposed to this tiny little amount across the soil, the better chance you have to get it in. And I assume at that same time, then they're throwing nitrogen out, which helps move it down even further. So in terms of other nutrients you might throw in, nitrogen and phosphorus you've talked about, but I often bring up sulfur to a lot of people that, hey, you know what, wheat needs a fair amount of sulfur. So talk to us about, you know, your discussions with farmers when it comes to sulfur. So when we're looking at sulfur needs for that crop, I mean, our, our high energy in has sulfur in it at a 10 to 1 ratio. But uh, the other product that we like to use for, for sulfur uh, in this top dress time frame is Access, which is a great sulfur product uh, because it's 100% sulfate. So that sulfur is 100% available to be taken up by this crop this year. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you bring up. If it's in the sulfur form, that can take time to break down. And if you want fast response, having it in that sulfate form is a pretty good way to go. Okay, so you mentioned stream barring. How about anybody that might be broadcasting a really low rate with their spray rig? Uh, Just, uh, I mean, do you have any advice for that? Or are there people doing that with good success that you have found rather than stream barring? I'm talking about just small droplets sprayed across the the crop foliar feeding. There's there's a fair amount of that done in my territory, uh, which is a spring top dress application where they're putting on their herbicide at the same time. Um, So, you know, in those situations, we're doing high energy in, we're using uh, micro 500 or 600, depending on where the soil pH is, you know, and what our need is out there. Um, and, and it's kind of funny, we, when we put in like a quart of micro 500 in with that top dress, uh, it just seems to soften that, um, the way the wheat takes that foliar application of top dress. All right, last question, high protein levels. So we talk to yeah. farmers all the time about trying to increase their protein levels. What's your advice on how to do that with fertilizer? Well... It really revolves all around nitrogen and sulfur, and mainly nitrogen. And so what we have done out here quite a few times, quite a bit of the time, is we've got a product called InResponse. So if a guy's going out there at that boot stage or flag leaf stage and he's putting on a foliar fungicide, okay, in in that application, we can put InResponse in with that, which is a very fast-release uh, nitrogen product. So we can drive nitrogen in, into that crop real fast. How, how much? How much are you usually putting on? We can go as high as three gallons in a foliar application there, uh, which we usually say it's around eight pounds per gallon equivalent of nitrogen. So we can actually put on some decent poundage there. Um, but we don't want to get carried away either. It, right. That product is a very high urea formulation. That's that's why it's a quick response uh, nitrogen for the crop. And uh, so there is some limitations there. But that has worked very well. Um, the, our only problem is we cannot tell the guy, you know, we, we really feel like we can move it maybe a point, point and a half on his protein. 
but we can't tell him if he's starting out at nine. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> yep, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the tough part. Yep. Well, we've been talking to Danny Titus oh. with AgriLiquid down in Kansas. Danny, thanks for the time today. Great stuff. Really appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. Take care. Thanks. All right, we're going to go next down to Maryland. We've got Kevin on with us. He's a farmer down there. Hey, Kevin, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing well today. Excellent. So wheat, we're talking about fertility in wheat. And from the way I understand it, a lot of your wheat would be double crop. You'd raise wheat and then you'd follow soybeans. Is that right? Yes, uh, we would... uh our wheat is planted after a corn crop or a soybean crop, and then we uh, double crop the wheat in over the winter and harvest in hopefully late June and have the soybeans planted by July 4th. Sure. So what do you normally do for wheat fertility? What are maybe a couple of the tips you've learned over the years where you say, boy, I got to make sure I do this for my fertility program in my wheat, and that gives me better success? Well, here here in the Chesapeake Bay, we've uh, had to get pretty uh, creative with our uh, <laughs> restrictions on yep. nutrient usage. But uh, first thing, we start off in the fall. And if we're following a good corn crop, um, we may need about a 30-pound of N application in the fall to get some good fall tillering in the small green. If we're following it, with a soybean crop, that doesn't seem to be an issue. Sure. So there are some fall nitrate tests we can take to tell us whether we need that 30 pounds, but really that can be judged from the combine seed almost with the yield monitor from the corn crop. Yep, I'm with uh, you. Then we, uh, in Maryland, we can't apply any nitrogen until March 1st. Okay. So uh, when when the calendar rolls to March 1st, we're in the field with uh, 200 pounds of sulfate, ammonium sulfate, and we're in the field with 150 pounds of potassium if, uh, unless our, we're not doing maintenance. If we need to build our base saturation on potash, we'll, we'll go higher. But, but on our maintenance program, about 250 to 200 pounds seems to be working well there. Then in late, go ahead. No, go, no, go ahead. So, so then on, when we come with our herbicide application, we'll come with about uh, 20 gallons of 30%, and we'll cut that with uh, a third to a half per, of water. Yeah. We'll up our gallonage, and that'll reduce the burn we have from our, nitrogen on our crop and our chemical application which will come in basically late late march yep and and then here on in the mid-atlantic you you farm to what mother nature has given you and then if everything looks good then you come back streaming nitrogen um you know we may come we may put 30 gallon on it we may put 20 gallon on yeah it. All, all depends on the situation. Hey, Kevin, uh, we got to take a quick break. Stay with us if you can. Stay tuned. We'll be right, be right back. 
With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator Spike Design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Right before the break, we were talking to Kevin out in Maryland. Sorry about that, Kevin. Just uh, had to go to a quick break there. Nope. Uh, so I, I appreciate you running through kind of your program from fall all the way until, you know, you're looking at, hey, is my season going, is it good, is it bad, and then possibly adding some more nitrogen later on. My my only other big question I had for you is how about micronutrients? You talked about uh, nitrogen, sulfur, and potassium, but how about some of the micro? Do you have any issue with micros? Are there any that you're normally putting on your wheat? Uh, most most of it will have, uh, we'll put a half gallon of manganese, uh, 6% on it. Um, most of, two-thirds of our acres will be recommended to have manganese. Oh. 
Uh, we've played with boron. We've played with a little bit of copper, but that's a little site specific, and uh, we uh, it's not a general prescription. It's it's what the agronomist might call for in that spot. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're running, and I didn't mention phosphorus to you because. You know, we're in a, a, a high chicken area, and we've, here on the Delmarva, we we have a rough time applying phosphorus because our phosphorus levels in the soil are so high that, that we aren't applying phosphorus. Gotcha. Uh, so, so, so some uh, of the ground we farm, we won't apply phosphorus for 20 years, you know. So are you putting some chicken litter on there, or that has just been done so much in the past you can't really do anything for a while? Well, it's it's been done so much in the past. We can't do anything in, in a while. And when we get in this high high yield environment, we really can't get the chicken manure spread evenly enough. Uh, you know, it's clumps and lumps in a spot here and a spot there, and it's it's really not uniform enough for what we're trying to do. Yeah, gotcha. All right. In- I mean, most. Most of this weed will have, if it looks good, it'll have 120 pounds of N on it. Um, could have as little as 80. It's all a judgment call and what it looks like, yield potential. Yeah. Yeah, every year is a little bit different. Well, we've been talking with uh, Kevin. He's a farmer out in Maryland. Kevin, thanks a lot for the time today. It was great insight. And, yeah, you definitely have a little different area than what we deal with here in the Midwest. So good luck out there. Hope the season turns out great for you. A good season to everybody. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. All right, let's go next out to the state of Ohio. We've got Glenn Arnold on with us. He is with Ohio State University as a nutrient management field specialist. Uh, Glenn, thanks for the time today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. You bet. All right, we're talking about wheat fertility today. So out in the state of Ohio, where does that usually start when when farmers bring that up to you? What are you usually talking about first? I assume it's probably nitrogen, right? Yeah, nitrogen. Um, it's pretty common in our area. We put on about 100 to 110 pounds of nitrogen as a spring top dress to wheat. We uh, The biggest the challenge is getting farmers to sit tight until the wheat is fully broken dormancy, till, till the wheat's growing well, and then give it to nitrogen. Because if we put it on too early, we're likely to lose some. Glenn, you're telling me that farmers are impatient? No, that can't be. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a, an unusually uh, dry uh, April time period, yep. uh, even late March. So. Yep. You know, we've been able to get a lot of tillage in. We've got a lot of uh, farmers that are itching, but most of them are going to sit tight on the planting because we got a lot of replanting done last year. So we're pretty <laughs> good at replanting. We're probably not in a hurry to get started again on that. So why did the replants happen last year? Too cold? Well, last year we planted at a good time in very yep. early May, but we got a hammering rain of about three inches, and then oh. about two weeks of cold weather followed that. Yep. And so the uh, crusting and the cold weather at the same time uh, caused a lot of issues with stands. Sure. All right, so coming back to wheat, how about uh, mm-hmm. phosphorus and potassium? What are kind of the standard things you run through there in Ohio with guys on P&K? Well, mostly uh, we know that wheat needs soil test levels of um, about 40 parts per million of Bray P1 for uh, phosphorus, and we like that, and potash. 
is probably you know more up there in that 320 to 350 range on that so you know we've been pretty satisfied with uh wheat but we've generally slipped a lot on acreage over the years simply because we've battled you know we are our wheat crop can look pretty good we get within a few uh weeks of harvest and then we'll, we've had extensive rains occur and some other things that have really wrecked what looked like such a promising wheat crop so we're up this year on acreage we feel pretty good uh, I was out actually yesterday and the day before. Uh, we do a lot of surface application of manure to wheat. So we were getting that done with uh, sure. drag hoses, with uh, tankers, and, and this year we tried a new toolbar, a grassland applicator, to slice the field open and place that manure more directly over top of the the opening. Gotcha. Uh, I want to come back to something you mentioned. Rains hurt you late in the season. Is it disease issues mm-hmm. that go in, or what's the problem? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it can be, uh, you know, we're pretty good. We've Fungicides have come a long way in the last uh, 10 years or more. Yep. And uh, farmers are getting pretty good at knowing when to use them and how to use them. But, you know, when you get into a, just an extended wet time period, like we had, like 2019 as an example, you know, it, it just sometimes is difficult to uh, to grow through that. So, so we feel pretty good, though. I think the crop looks as good right now as it's ever looked this time of year. Good. So we've got a lot of hope for that. Okay, so talk to me just a little bit more about the manure. You mentioned manure. So you're talking on winter mm-hmm. wheat, and you're going out there yes. with manure. So describe mm-hmm. to me exactly how that's getting put on so it's not hurting the wheat. Most of it is just being splashed on top of the wheat at a rate of about <laughs> 4,000 gallons per acre. And most of the guys use, use drag hoses. Yep. And uh, believe it or not, the wheat grows right through it like it was never there. And it actually will out-yield most of our other fertilizers, our 28% and our urea, in side-by-side tests. So the, the manure works really well. A tanker is a second choice by a long shot sure. only because of the compaction issues that tankers can cause. But we think we've we've got you know we, we if we can if we can apply that manure more closely to uh, to when we want to do it with the drag hose and then perhaps use the grassland applicator to open up the soil and place the the manure and you know more precisely we think there's a lot more pot- upside potential with with uh, livestock manure than we ever thought possible. Yeah, and manure does make a lot of sense because not only do you get some organic material in there, you get micronutrients and biologicals mm-hmm. and everything else. So yeah, it's a more complete mm-hmm. fertilizer. So it's got spe- sulfur as well. Right. Uh, yep. Everybody, not much, not to like about that. Right. Yep. Good point. So uh, you mentioned sulfur, and I just wanted to ask you about sulfur and micronutrients. Are a lot of the wheat producers in Ohio starting to look both at more sulfur and more micronutrients now? They've tinkered with that. Sulfur has kind of been something that folks have been adding for, for quite a while up here as they've tinkered with trying to get uh, the maximum yield they possibly can. So I couldn't tell you what percentage use it, but I know quite a few of the better ones look at it pretty seriously. How about on the micros? Is it more of a blend of micronutrients or is there maybe one or two in particular that guys are using more commonly on wheat? probably not very many micronutrients to my best knowledge, yeah. partly because wheat doesn't have a, a wide pro, um, profit margin, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> right. It's one of those things where we don't want to get carried away on putting inputs into it for fear we don't get much out of it. So that's, uh, you know, lo- laughingly, I've even heard farmers refer to wheat as poverty grass from time to time when uh, when they have a lot of winter kill and, and uh, aren't going to be able to save 
the crop. So, you know, so again, it's something we look at trying to limit our inputs if we can to, uh, to get good yields, but not uh, to overinvest. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge farming. I mean, Darren, for Darren and me, we've been on the farm our whole lives, and uh, there are some good years and some a lot of rough ones in between. So anyway, uh, we've been yeah. talking to Glenn Arnold from out at Ohio State. He is a nutrient management field specialist out there. Glenn, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. Good insight you had for us. All right. Appreciate talking with you. You bet. Thanks. All right, so once again, today we are talking about fertilizing wheat, but we would be happy to take your phone call and talk about anything that's going on in your farm or answer any of your questions. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll talk just a little bit more about fertilizing wheat after this, and then we're going to get back to more of your questions here on AgPHD Radio. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support, let nothing shake your perseverance. 
Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize the future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio talking wheat fertility. And we're going to jump back to the phone lines. we got Jason calling in from up in Alberta, Canada. Uh, Jason sent us an email today about tile drainage. So, Jason, I want to get to that in just a minute here. But uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. And I want to talk about wheat fertility, if that's okay with you. Yeah, you bet. All right. So, from what I understand, you raise peas and canola and wheat on your farm. What do you do different in terms of fertility with wheat than you might with some of the other crops you raise in your farm? Well, I guess what um, what we've been trying to do um, for for the most part is is definitely follow the uh, uh, Ag PhD fertilizer uptake and removal chart. That is a you know tremendous resource that you guys have put out, and it's uh, it's helped us a lot on the farm to make sure that we're getting the right balance of nutrients. So not only just the the main ones, your NPK, but also the micronutrients, sulfur, calcium, magnesium, and just seeing where we're at. Um, one of the things that we've also done is we were doing the weekly tissue testing. And I remember sure. being at a presentation with Randy Dowdy talking about his weekly tissue testing. And, yep. and so we tried it on our farm here for, for a couple of years and, and just a you know, real eye-opener on, on what those levels were. We've taken the odd tissue sample once during the season, but when we started doing it every week for that 12 or 14 weeks of growing season, we could really see where our levels in that plant would change throughout the growing season, and some got more and some got less. And so we were also looking at, um, you know, when we needed nutrients and, and when we could be supplying those those nutrients to the crops we knew we knew that we had to have a bunch up front but then we also knew that we had to maintain those levels later on in the year um, some of our boron numbers were were coming back starting to really drop off so we knew that we could if we didn't have that boron up front that it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be there for the when we needed it at the end of the season and the other thing that we did that was kind of interesting is we took some green samples and um and we started doing some nutrient analysis on that and kind of doing the math to compare that to the uptake and removal charts. And we could see that, you know, based on what we knew on, on soil samples that we've been doing, that the, if the nutrients aren't there in the soil samples, they're definitely not going to show up on the, uh, the nutrient samples on that grain, on that grain test. Right. And uh, so that was something that we didn't have anybody else. We, we were trying to find somebody else that would, had done that already of taking the green samples and, and doing the nutrient tests. And they mm-hmm. really didn't have those numbers. But when we compared them to the uptake and removal charts, then we could see that we were, we were probably on the right track as far as, you know, what we had to have and what was, what was it taking to grow that crop. Okay. So what are the biggest things that you've changed after looking at our Ag PhD fertilizer removal app and looking at all the tissue test results you've had for those couple of years? Are there one or two nutrients where you're now, you're applying a lot more and maybe one or two that you're applying less? For sure. We're, we're putting on, um, the boron. The boron is, uh, is something that we were, it just, we couldn't get it to show up in the plants at all. We knew we didn't have, you know, in the soil tests, it, it really wasn't um, a lot and it was just severely deficient. So sure. putting on a lot of boron to get those numbers up. 
as well as the, the calcium and the sulfur. And so we've been looking at um, trying to get some calcium products, uh, either pelletized calcium or, or even a pelletized gypsum, because everything we do is run through the air drill. Sure. And, um, and I guess the other thing we've been doing too is um, to get some extra nitrogen later in the season, whether it's for um, a little bit of protein bump. Yep. Because our protein numbers weren't very high. Mm-hmm. And so we were melting, we're, we're doing quite a bit of melted urea. Yep. So taking dry urea, melting it with water, and then spraying that on as a foliar application and seeing some pretty good response, not only on the wheat, but also the canola as well. That one, canola is a big response to that, to that melted urea. So awesome. But, but for sure on, the, for sure on the wheat. Yep. So after doing all this, what's been the impact on yield? Uh, we've seen higher yields. You know, I think one of the trials that we had done, we do a controlled traffic farming system. So we're able to do um, trials pretty, pretty easy and consistent because it's the same tracks every time. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing some potash because that was the other thing, you know, everybody says we got lots of potash in our soil, but really it's, it's, <laughs> there's not enough available. Right. And, uh, and we proved that to ourselves, and that's, you know, listening to you guys like, yeah, we can take those recommendations, but we wanted to, to see it for ourselves and try it on our own farm. Yep. And we, when we were doing those extra, um, you know, higher rates of, of potash and seeing the yield response, then it really did prove to us that, that it was paying back big time. Good. And, you know, the thing that I always bring up to people too, is there are two factors that I'm looking at, or really probably three, if you throw disease in there, but the big thing, everybody wants to talk about yield and that's great, but potassium has such an enormous impact on stock quality and just the uh, likelihood or not of lodging issues. So we see lodging as something that can potentially be just devastating on farms all over. So yeah, the potassium is a big thing. All right, uh, Jason, do you have anything else on fertility? Otherwise, I want to ask you about the the tile question you sent in. I uh, know that. Uh, okay. Good. All right. So you sent me sent us an email, or uh, looks like earlier today, about ag drainage up there, and there's some fact sheet that uh, looks like Alberta. Um, has put out. I don't. I don't know what entity it is in Alberta, but anyway, maybe it's the government. Uh, so, w- what what specific questions did you have? Is there something you felt was particularly misleading about what they sent out? Yeah, I think you know. To me, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to track down is is what the reluctance for um, it is here in the province for for them to to be allowing drainage or helping farmers to uh, to do drainage and you know anytime i come up against it it's it's that it's um affecting the water quality and that drainage somehow is going to put um pollution or more um i guess add add sure. uh, nutrients add things to to the water yes to the water system yep and uh and, I, and that's the opposite of what you guys talk about and i just to me that's <laughs> it's it doesn't make any sense what they're trying to do here. Yep. Now, you did mention, too, and it's something we often talk about, there's a fantastic summary of a lot of the research trials that's been done over many, many, many years called The Environmental Benefits of Tile Drainage from the University of Guelph. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully that's helping you a little bit. I believe it's a summary of 86 different studies. But, you know, when you think about environmental benefits of tile drainage, um, that's like 
two opposing things for most people. They think, well, tile has to be harmful. But here's the number one thing, Jason, that I always say to people when they talk about reluctance to drain. I just say, look, how is a farmer going to pay for that tile that he puts in the ground? Well, the only way the farmer can pay for it is yield increase, right? Okay, well, if we have more yield, that means we're going to suck more water out of the system, not put more water in. And whether you realize it or not, water is moving right now below your farm. It's moving under everybody's farms today in that water table. Water's seeping below ground. It's already moving. So we, we just we don't give that a lot of credit, and in my opinion, enough credit. It's already moving. So what we're trying to do here with this tile is just simply lower the water table. And when we talk about water quality, the only, I, I would say, big issue that I've got sometimes with the way tile can get put in is if it's, if it's got inlets. So if we have surface inlets, so water can go right into the tile line without getting filtered by the soil, then I am in agreement that there could be some water quality concerns. But as long as all the tile is below ground, we have soil to filter that water. And I mean, when you do water studies, water quality studies of the water coming out of the tile line, it's way cleaner and safer than runoff that goes off of fields every day that nobody really wants to talk about. So I hate to even bring that up much because all of a sudden, if I if I make a big deal of it, then maybe we're going to get all our runoff off our fields regulated. But you see where I'm going with the whole thing. So yeah, we, we can certainly talk more about that. If you want to hang on after this break, we got to take a quick commercial break. But uh, I I mean, it's it's really been a challenge getting legislation up in Canada that's favorable for tile drainage. So we'll probably talk about that just a little bit right after this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. 
It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. This is Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about wheat fertility today. And uh, right before the break, we were talking to Jason from up in Alberta about drainage just a little bit. I don't understand personally why so many people end up being opposed to tile drainage. When you really study it, when tile is put in properly, it is fantastic for the environment. So what has been proven is there is far less total nitrogen getting into the system. Now, yes, there might be a little more nitrate getting into the system, but far less total nitrogen getting into the system. And if you don't believe that, read the studies. Okay, again, you can look up, just do a quick internet search, look for the environmental benefits of tile drainage from University of Guelph. It's a study of like or a summary of about 86 different studies out there. Uh, anyway, so you're going to find when there is tile drainage, there is less erosion. There is far less phosphorus getting into the overall system and less nutrient load getting into the system. Uh, so in other words, downstream water. Uh, it, it is very helpful long-term for crop yields. And so what that means too, along with that, is you're going to find more Carbon dioxide is pulled out of the air. By the way, that's the number one greenhouse gas in the world today. If you like the planet, you should love tile drainage because it's going to help in terms of these greenhouse gases with the global warming discussion. So I mean, almost all the environmental things you want to talk about, tile drainage is absolutely going to help. And we could spend the rest of the show talking about that, but we got to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Uh, we got a question in today from Mitch who asked, Hi guys, corn growers always talk about bushels and not protein or nutrient composition. He says, we feed our corn to our cattle. So what are some of the high priority tips learned from growing wheat that us corn growers can use to increase protein content in the corn grain or corn silage? So Mitch, I would just say this. Um, if you look at the one thing that makes a difference for protein in wheat, it is nitrogen availability late in the growing season. If you have nitrogen available late in the growing season, you have more protein in your wheat. And 
I don't I haven't seen a whole bunch of studies done on that for corn, but they're both grass crops. They're both somewhat similar, so we would have to assume that will have something to do with it. But we also know that sulfur plays a little bit of a role. We know that just overall having good root growth plays a role. And here's one other thing that I want to throw out too. If overall, over time, you can build soil organic matter levels, and since you're in Minnesota, I'll just bring this up, uh, you as a state in Minnesota have higher organic matter levels than us as a state, South Dakota, for our crop acres. So you've got a little bit of a leg up already, but the more you can increase your uh, more you can increase your organic matter level in the soil, the more nutrients are going to get released for free every year, including a whole bunch of nitrogen. So that ends up being one of the big factors we find for higher protein in any crop. Now, the last thing that I'll throw out to you, since you mentioned you feed cor your corn to your cattle, look at anything your cattle could be short in. In other words, if you find, boy, we got to keep going with this supplement for our cattle, odds are pretty high that traces all the way back to your soil. So if let's say it's whatever, copper, I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, I don't know. Just check it out. Let's say it's copper. You could solve that problem way cheaper by putting copper on your soil, having your crop get more yield because it now has the right amount of copper in there. It also will have better disease tolerance because it has the right amount of copper in there. And ultimately, your livestock have more copper in their diet. So pretty soon, you might not have to supplement that anymore. So that's one good indicator that you will have that hopefully will help you on your way. All right. Uh, we're going to go back to the phone lines. We've got Pat calling in from Wisconsin. We brought up tile. It sounds like Pat's got a tiling question. How you doing there, Pat? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Great. What can we do for you? Um, <clears throat> we got some bottom ground. Had a neighbor ask us if we can tap into our tile line, and we did about a year ago, and now people are telling us we probably should have a legal, I don't know, document or something to, you know, to protect each other. Or what's your thoughts of that when you let the neighbor do that? Okay. So first of all, we've done that in many cases. I, I, I'm just going to make an estimate here that we've worked with 20 of our different neighbors. Okay. So, yep. uh, and, and it goes both ways. We've tapped into some of theirs. They've tapped into ours or, uh, for the most part, it's been brand new tile and we both have worked together. I have zero legal documents with any of them. Um, I, I And I'm just going to give you my opinion. I'm no lawyer, so just take this for what it's worth. But I, I prefer fewer things in writing because I just feel like, hey, for me and for our neighbors, we're going to get along on stuff. And we don't need a whole bunch of legal money spent uh, to know that we got to work together. But if you're concerned about it, you can certainly go talk to a lawyer. It's just it costs a few dollars. There are plenty of good drainage lawyers out there, and they probably will have you draw something up. And what it will most likely have to do with is future maintenance of that tile. Now, for me personally, I don't mind it if the neighbors, in effect, dumping into mine, if we had to upsize our tile, by the way, usually the upstream neighbor kicks a few dollars in for that. But after that point, then I'm basically responsible for my tile. But here's the way I kind of look at it. I, 
you know, I'm just working with my neighbors. If it costs me a few extra bucks at some point because I got to spend a little money on a tile line, I don't really care. So some people do. I personally don't. So that's that. That's the big reason why I haven't been that worried about it. But could you do something? Uh, you sure could. Should you? That's a good question. Do you have any specific concern you're worried about, or this is just something people have told you, oh, you should probably draw something up? Well, I hate to say it, we're in a Sioux world. And you got to make sure you cover your bases. We're worried. I'm getting old enough now. Maybe someday I might want to put this ground in CRP. Okay. So is that going to cause a problem down the road? Yeah, I don't know why it would cause a problem. And I I will say this to you, Pat. There are drainage laws in every state that govern um, when you don't have a specific agreement out there. And the way it basically works is water is going downhill. It's staying in a watershed and you aren't supposed to change the overall course or the total amount uh, and, and to some degree the timing of that water. Uh, moving. So in other words, you can't put a dam up that forces everything back on the neighbor or anything like that. So, I mean, there, there certainly are some rules out there already, but yeah, if you're, if you're really worried about it, I'll put it to you this way. If it's causing you any lost sleep, we don't want you losing sleep at night. You probably better draw something up, whether it's with a lawyer or without a lawyer, just so you got it down on paper, because I can certainly understand that. You mentioned as you're getting older, you start worrying about those things. Um, You know, it's something our dad brought up to us often. He's like, look, I just don't want to worry. I want to sleep good at night. So if it's bothering you, then I, I would get something drawn up. But would I be that concerned about anything? No, there, there's nothing that I know of. And we've got lots of experience with this. And I've consulted with people all over this country and up in Canada as well. I've worked with legislatures. Uh, I've done a lot of, I have a lot of experience outside of being a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, but I do know drainage law pretty well. And I just, I don't, I don't see anything that throws up any enormously huge red flag other than future work on a tile line. A lot of times, if two people are dumping into one line, they will both share in the cost of replacing that or fixing that. It might be 30 or 50 or 100 years down the road. Yep. Okay. 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 Well, you kind of answered what I what I thought I already knew. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, good luck out there, Pat. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. All right, got a nice comment here. It's from Pedro down in Brazil. He said, I'm currently a third-year university student, and I'd like to say that I listen to Ag PhD Radio every day when I'm going to university. And also like to thank you for all the information you're passing on during the show. This information really works in the field. I'd love to join you someday for the Young Farmers Field Day. Hope to have that opportunity someday down the road. Thanks, and if you want to know anything about it, Brazilian agriculture or talk to a researcher or professor in our country, please let me know and I'd be happy to connect you. Hey, Pedro, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Glad glad we can uh, provide information for you. Hopefully that, that helps you down the road as well. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.